Welcome to the Man of Recaps. This is the complete recap of all the Marvel Netflix shows, aka the Defenderverse. It all began with Daredevil Season 1. Meet Matt Murdock, the blind attorney who by day defends the innocent with his law degree, but by night he defends the innocent with his fists. Yes, the toxic chemical spill that left him blind heightened his other senses so he can hear well enough to see, much like a bat. Unfortunately, the name Batman was already taken, so here we are. He's not called Daredevil yet, just the man in black, and he runs around Hell's Kitchen fighting bad guys with epic one-take hallway scenes. Yeah, oh god. That's what made the show famous. His best friend and law partner is funny guy, Foggy Nelson. When he gets real cut up, he has a nurse friend, Claire Temple, to sew him back together. And he's a good Catholic boy. His other best friend is the confessional. But one day, Karen Page finds herself framed for murder. With Matt superhearing, he knows she's innocent, so Nelson and Murdoch take the case. So with Daredevil's super karate skills, he cuts to the core of this conspiracy, exposes Union Allied, and the day is saved. Except they get off because they're threatening the jury. Matt tracks down the name of the big shadowy crime boss who's controlling it all, Wilson Fisk. We meet him in romance mode. He just met an art dealer, Vanessa, that he's head over heels for. He's got a real fun way of talking, he's all like, this city is my home, and I'll do anything to protect it. He's generally a cool collected dude, but beneath the surface is an endless pit of rage! Epic table flip! Now unfortunately Fisk has most of the police in his pocket, so Matt has to beat up some cops, which earns him the nickname the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. While Matt's out punching people, Karen and Foggy are working to take down Fisk legally. By the way, Foggy doesn't approve of Matt's nighttime hobbies. Once he finds out Matt's Daredevil, he becomes very annoying. Basically the only thing he ever says is, Matt, you should stop being Daredevil! Long story short, Matt finally finds a corrupt cop who's willing to testify, so they get the police force cleaned up, and Fisk is going to jail! For all of five seconds, he immediately breaks out. Now, there was a subplot this season with Matt's blind old man mentor Stick, who trained him as a kid. He's caught up in an ancient ninja war between good and evil. Matt's like, yo, I'm busy with Fisk. I don't have time for ninja stuff. Come back next season when that'll be the main plot. He does, though, fight one ninja, Nobu, who cuts him up real bad before Matt's able to burn him. Claire's like, yo, man, this Under Armour ain't cutting it anymore. You need a super suit. And so, for the final showdown with Fisk, Matt shows up in his new Daredevil outfit. They have a big old fight. Fisk is very strong, by the way, but in the end, Matt lets the devil out. Boom! Fisk goes to jail, and Daredevil officially gets his superhero name. Next up is Jessica Jones, season one. Jessica Jones is a private investigator. As a kid, she was in a car crash where her whole family died, but somehow she woke up with super strength and arguably her real superpower, superhuman alcohol tolerance. Now one day, a nice Midwestern girl, Hope, kills her parents in the elevator, but it wasn't her, she was being mind controlled. Yes, Jessica has a history with this villain. His name is Kilgrave, and any command he gives you, you have to follow. He walks around the world, turning people into his personal slaves. Jessica's full of trauma from when she was under his control, but luckily one day he was hit by a bus and she was able to break free. But now he's back in town and creepily obsessed with Jessica the one that got away. So to prove Hope's innocence, Jessica goes to Jaron Hogarth, master attorney of questionable morality. She's like, yeah, the mind control defense could be interesting if you can find any proof. So Jessica tracks down Kilgrave. Oh snap, it's Doctor Who. But when he can turn anyone around him into a bodyguard, it's hard to catch him. So Jess gets help from her best friend and adopted sister, Trish Walker. She was a child star, it's Patsy, but is trying to distance herself from that now. And there's Malcolm, the junkie who lives next door, likes to sneak in and steal her peanut butter. Turns out though, he's not just on drugs, he's on mind control. But once Jess helps him get clean, he's a real smart guy, a valued member of the team. By the way, there was a cop who was Kilgrave to kill Trish, but ended up banging Trish. To stop Kilgrave, he started taking super steroid pills, but they made him a bit crazy, turned him into a villain. To stop him, Trish took one of his pills, and together the girls took him down. But Trish got her first taste of superpowers, watch out for that later. There's also the hot new bartender Jessica's been flirting with, Luke Cage. Turns out he's even stronger than he looks. In fact, he's got superpowers, he's invincible. When he and Jess realize they both have superpowers, they get hit on, superhero style, sweet Christmas. Turns out though, he's investigating his dead wife Reva, who was hit by a bus. But she was actually with Kilgrave and Jessica, they were digging up a USB drive she had, and it wasn't the bus that hit her, it was Jessica! 
that killed her on Kilgrave's orders. And so after some failed attempts to catch Kilgrave, Kilgrave takes the whole police station hostage. Hello, Jessica. He's like, yo, I'm not gonna use my powers on you. I love you and want you to fall in love with me naturally. Come out to the suburbs with me and I'll beauty and the beast you. So Jessica plays nice for a bit, but she tricked him and locked him in the cage. And so long story short, Kilgrave's parents come, but everything turns into a mess and he's able to escape. But when he commands Jessica to let go, she doesn't do it. Yes, it wasn't the bus that broke her free of his powers. It was when he made her kill Reva. Somehow his powers don't work on Jess anymore. Luke Cage comes in to help, but Kilgrave makes him blow up his bar, not knowing he's fireproof, he goes full Khaleesi. So now he's here to help, which is maybe a bad idea because Kilgrave can't control Jessica, but he can control Luke. It's a super strength fight in the end, Jessica, blam, shotgun to the face, which does knock him out. And who's on duty that night, but nurse Claire Temple, who's like, well, I guess I'm a superhero specialist now. So long story short, Kilgrave injects fetus juice into his brain, which gives him a super power up. So in the final showdown, he's like, Jessica, stop. And it works, oh, he can control her now. Except, just kidding, she was faking. Boom, kills him. They didn't need him alive anymore, hope ended up dying anyway, so the day is kind of saved. Next up is Daredevil season two. Now Daredevil follows Batman rules. He doesn't kill people, he only injures them grievously. But there's a new vigilante in town who does kill bad guys. He's a one-man army, and it is the Punisher. He and Daredevil butt heads a bit. It's like, hey Red, you don't kill people, but I do, so get over it. So Karen Page, now accidentally reporter, is investigating the Punisher. Turns out his name was Frank Castle. He was a good war hero till his family was accidentally killed in a big gang shootout. It seems like there's a big cover-up, so to get to the bottom of it, Nelson and Murdoch take his case. But wait, there's something else going on. He throws the case so he can go to jail, where he meets Wilson Fisk. Yes, when Fisk first got to prison, there was some other kingpin in charge, but with the Punisher, he sees an opportunity. He's like, yo man, that guy was part of the drug deal where your family got shot, and Punisher's like, well, point me at him. Frank takes that guy out, but now Fisk controls the prison, opens all the other cages, so Frank has his own epic hallway fight scene. Fisk is like, wow, you're really good at killing. I'm gonna let you out so you can take out all my rivals while I'm in here. So, turns out the shootout where his family died was part of a sting operation set up by the DA, but she's trying to cover it up, and now, oh, someone kills her. But it wasn't Frank, and to prove it, someone else is shooting at him. Turns out the big drug dealer involved was the blacksmith, so Frank tracks him down. But it actually turns out the real blacksmith was Frank's old Marine commander. Karen's like, yo, don't kill him, he can testify, but Frank's like, nah, I just like killing people. So the Punisher leaves to go start his own series, and the day is saved, until Matt gets a visit from his ex-girlfriend, Electra. Hey baby, hope you brought your super suit, cause we're fighting ninjas together. Their old blind sensei stick shows up, did somebody say fighting ninjas? And he tells them these evil ninjas they're fighting are called the Hand. And somehow the Hand leaders are immortal, the ninja Nobu that Daredevil burned in season one, he's back, he's fine. But he doesn't want to fight Electra, he wants to fight for Electra. Yes, turns out she's the Black Sky, the mythical hero of the Hand who's like a super killing monster. Stick found her as a kid and tried to turn her into a good guy, but she still just really likes killing. She loves Matt though, so he convinces her to use her killing powers on the Hand. And there's a lot more ninja fighting. The Hand has a literally infinite supply of ninjas. And so now fighting ninjas together, Matt and Elektra have fallen in love. They decide to go Facebook official. And in the final fight with Nobu, Elektra, oh, sacrifices herself to save Matt. No, Elektra, you can't die. And indeed she doesn't die because her grave is robbed and she's put into a weird sarcophagus by the Hand. Whoa. Next up is Luke Cage, season one. So after his bar blew up, Luke Cage moved to Harlem where he's working at Pop's Barbershop. He's also bartending at Harlem's Paradise, the hottest music club in the neighborhood, and also the headquarters of Harlem's crime boss, Cornell Cottonmouth Stokes. Cornell's cousin, Mariah Dillard, is his legitimate connection. She's a city councilwoman, and his right-hand man always wears sunglasses, goes by shades. So one night, some local kids have the bad idea to jack some of Cottonmouth's money. So the last kid goes to Pops to make a deal. He'll give the money back, they won't kill him. But one of Cottonmouth's men, no respect, shoots up Pops. Oh no, Pops is neutral, it's Switzerland. Luke Cage is mad. He busts into where Cornell keeps his money stash, goes full Darth Vader from Rogue One, takes one bag of money to repair the barbershop and leaves the rest for the cops to find, including Detective Misty Knight, who is a crime scene savant. She can always tell how things went down. Long story short, having a bulletproof guy messing with his affairs drives Cornell to get sloppy. One night, he and his cousin Mariah are having a fight which goes back to their childhood raised by the original crime boss, Mama Mabel Stokes, and the Uncle Pete who abused Mariah when Cornell says she wanted it. Oh, that's crossing the line. Oh, she pushes him out the window and beats him to death. Shades was there to see that. He's like, all right, Mariah, you're the crime boss of Harlem now. Unfortunately, just then, there's a new player in town who goes by Diamondback, takes out all these guys like, no, actually, I'm the crime boss of Harlem. He shoots Luke Cage with a Judas bullet made from alien mad 
tunnel. Oh, that takes him down. Luckily, Luca just met up with nurse Claire Temple, who saved his life in Jessica Jones. She's here to help again, but you can't do surgery on invulnerable skin. So we get Luke's backstory. His real name was Carl Lucas. He was a cop that was wrongfully imprisoned. And the prison psychiatrist there was Riva. Yes, Luke's future love, that's where they met. But long story short, they were doing illegal experiments on the prisoners there, and the one on Luke actually worked. He came out super strong and indestructible, punched his way out of prison. So they tracked down the scientist that did the experiments, give Luke an acid bath to soften him up so they can get the bullet out. So back in Harlem, turns out Diamondback is Luke's illegitimate brother, and for some reason that makes him angry. In fact, boom, he blows up Pops again and comes in wearing the ugliest super suit in the MCU. It does make him bulletproof though, and super strong, so it's a final street fight. But the people of Harlem are on Luke's side, and boom, Luke Cage wins. And Luke Cage, unfortunately, is under arrest for escaping prison back in Atlanta. He and Claire had a romance this season, they have a big ol' smooch, and he goes off to finish his sentence. Then it's time for Iron Fist Season 1. Meet Danny Rand from the Billionaire Rand Corporation. But he and his family supposedly died in a plane crash when he was a kid. Apparently he survived though, and he comes back now, 15 years later, wearing no shoes. He finally makes it to see the Meachams, the co-owners of the company. This American psycho-looking guy is Ward Meacham, and it's his sister Joy. He looks like a crazy bum though, so they have him committed, where he explains he was saved by interdimensional kung fu monks. And there he received the power of the Iron Fist, whoa! With the help of family lawyer Jerry Hogarth, he finally proves his identity. So Danny Rand is back, a 51% owner of the Rand Corporation. He spent his life studying karate though, he knows nothing about business, and this is a huge problem for Ward. So Ward goes to get help from his father, Harold Meacham, which is only weird because he was also supposed to have died 10 years ago. Turns out Harold Meacham made a deal with the Hand. They saved his life in exchange, they control Rand behind the scenes. So Harold brings Danny in like, hey man, do you want to use your kung fu skills to beat up a bunch of evil ninjas called the Hand? But Danny's like, yo, this is a crazy coincidence because my full job title is the Immortal Iron Fist, protector of Kun Lun, sworn enemy of the Hand. And he likes to tell people that a lot. He finds the leader of the Hand, Madame Gao, who we actually met in Daredevil season one. Even Wilson Fisk was nice to her. And indeed, Danny tries to stop her, but it's like, bitch, please, I'm Madame Gao. Now earlier, Danny met Colleen Wing, a martial arts instructor. But Danny's like, yo, I actually swore a vow of chastity, so we can't do anything sexual. But when she shows him her boobs, he immediately breaks that vow. Now Colleen's actually been teaching our nurse Claire Temple. What part of town does she live in? Together, they fly over to China for some more kung fu movie tropes. Danny realizes the plane crash wasn't an accident. His father was killed by the hand, and so Iron Fist, boom, captures Madame Gao. They bring her to Colleen's Kung Fu College and her sensei, Bakuda. Bakuda's a real nice dude. They do some Tai Chi and drink some chai tea. But it seems too good to be true. He's probably secretly evil. And indeed, Danny talks to Madame Gao, who reveals Bakuda is part of the hand. Colleen tries to explain Madame Gao is part of the bad hand, and she and Bakuda are part of the good hand. Our kung fu clans are sworn enemies, but you and me can be like Romeo and Juliet. But Danny never had eighth grade English. She doesn't know what that is. Pretty soon, though, Colleen realizes she's working for the bad guy, so she has her final fight with her sensei, Bakuda. Katana time. Yeah, she wins. And somewhere in there, Danny's best friend from Kunlun, Davo, shows up. He's here to bring Danny back. See, the Iron Fist's sole job is to protect the interdimensional pass, and right now it's unguarded. But it was so super boring, that's why Danny left, and he's like, yo, man, I just, I'm gonna stay in New York. So for now, it seems the day is saved, except the real bad guy is Harold Meacham. Yes, turns out it wasn't Madame Gao who caused the plane crash. It was Harold Meacham to take over the company. In fact, Ward tried to kill his evil undead dad, but it didn't take. Whatever the hand did, he keeps coming back. So Danny busts in there, does a big old Iron Fist crown punch. Danny's gonna let him live, but Ward Meacham's like, yo, I'm not taking any chances. Shoots him multiple time off the building and cremates him. So the day is saved, and Danny's like, you know, maybe I should go check on that pass just in case. But when he arrives, there's blood everywhere, and Kunlun has vanished. He's like, you know, I think I've made a huge mistake. And now it's time for the big crossover, The Defenders. At the end of Daredevil Season 2, the hand dug up Elektra's body and put it in the creepy blood sarcophagus, and whoa, brought her back to life. She was always an excellent fighter, but now she is a fully realized Black Sky, an avatar of death. 
She's pretty amnesia though, so she's being manipulated by the hand's big top leader, Sigourney Weaver, Alexandra. They have some master plan going on in New York, and whatever it is, it's causing earthquakes. And all four of our heroes get dragged into it one way or another. Danny ran to the immortal Iron Fist, investigating the hand after they destroyed Kunlun, apparently. Jessica Jones, private investigator, working a case when a ninja shows up. So Matt Murdock shows up to be her lawyer, and his season two, he fought the hand, so he knows what's up. Now Luke Cage was sent back to Seagate Prison at the end of his season, but now with the help of super lawyer Foggy Nelson, they clear his name, he's out. But now Luke here, some new ninja gang, is recruiting young Harlem kids so he's looking into it. He runs into Danny Rand doing his thing, finds out that Luke Cage can't be karate'd. But what about the Iron Fist, unstoppable force, immovable object? Bam! Pretty soon they realize they have Claire as a mutual friend, so they swap backstories. Danny apparently fought an actual dragon? Anyway, he tries to fight the hand using his billionaire business powers, but their whole board is ninjas, so it's karate time again. Just then, Matt and Jessica's investigation leads them here too, and so all four defenders are united for an epic hallway fight, yeah! Yes, the defenders have assembled, except assembled is the Avengers thing, the defenders just kind of meet up. They take their meat up to a Chinese restaurant where Stick shows up and fills him in on the whole ancient war with the evil shadow ninjas. Standard stuff, of course, for Danny and Matt, but Luke and Jessica, it's a little out of their wheelhouse. Earlier, Matt saw Elektra and was obviously very surprised to see her alive, but she didn't remember him. So now they fight some more ninjas and Matt takes Elektra outside like, hey baby, I love you, don't be evil, but she's still all amnesia They managed to capture one of the leaders of the hand though. He's one of the five fingers of the hand. And remember, they're all used to being immortal. They have a substance that is the blood sarcophagus stuff that revived Elektra. Unfortunately, that was the last of it. They're mortal now. They're trying to get more and somehow to do that, they need the Iron Fist. Since the Iron Fist is the key to their plan, they want to hide Danny, but Danny doesn't want to be sidelined, so they have a little fight. Whoa! In the end, they tie him up to keep him safe, but Stick is like, hey, sorry about this kid, but to keep you even safer, I'm gonna kill ya. Just then, though, Electra shows up for her final showdown with her old sensei Stick, and oh, she kills him. She takes Danny back to the hand, but now, oh, she kills Alexandra. She's like, yo, I'm sick of taking orders. I'm the leader of the hand now. So Electra takes Danny to the mystic sealed door, like, hey, punch through this for me. He's like, no, I'm gonna punch you instead, but she grabs his fist, puts it in there, and he's like, oh, I've maybe made a huge mistake. And turns out what's down here is a literal dragon skeleton. Yes, it's dragon bones that make up the substance that keeps them immortal. But the bigger problem is when they remove the skeleton, it's going to unleash an earthquake that will destroy all of New York. So the defenders suit up for the final showdown, Daredevil with an actual super suit, kind of the odd man out. They go down to the cave and they have an epic final ninja fight. Yeah! Upstairs, Colleen and Claire are going to demolish the building. Colleen has her rematch with Bakuda. But just then, Detective Misty Knight shows up to help and oh, Katana cuts her arm off. She did not see that coming. Then Matt sends the other defenders away for his final showdown with Elektra. They fight it out super karate time, but in the end it's like, baby, don't be evil, I love ya. But she's like, oh, but I like being evil. So these two start making out as the bombs go off, drop in the building on top of them, and they die in each other's arms. So the day is saved, except Misty Knight lost her arm, and of course Matt's dead. But turns out Matt survived. Yes, he's picked up by nuns apparently, and that's how the defenders comes to an end. But we are only halfway done because now it's the Punisher season one. In Daredevil season two, Frank Castle killed everyone involved in the big shootout that killed his family, so his quest for vengeance is over, but soon he's contacted by master computer guy Micro, and turns out the conspiracy goes even deeper than we thought. Micro was an NSA analyst who tried to whistleblow the illegal stuff that Frank's black ops unit was doing in Afghanistan. Yes, Frank thought he was over there fighting terrorists, but turns out they were taking out friendly targets to line their pockets with heroin for the blacksmith. So Frank tracks this guy down and learns the true secret of the night his family died. It was all set up by these black ops guys to silence Frank because he knew too much. And it was all orchestrated by shady CIA guy, Agent Orange. Now, Agent Madani is investigating the same situation and she tracks down Frank's old best friend, Billy Russo. He thought Frank was dead though, so she doesn't get any information from him, but they do get it on. But now Billy finds Frank, best friends reunited, but turns out Billy is working for Agent Orange, betrayal. Pretty soon though, Frank realizes his friend Billy's betrayed him and he has to fake take hostage his friend, Karen Page. These two kind of have some chemistry. Are they gonna hook up? Well, they don't for now. Frank does accidentally hook up with Micro's wife because she thought he was dead. It's a whole thing, but the take Micro's family 
family hostage, so they have to do a deal. Micro trades himself, but oh, he gets shot! Frank pulls back out his Punisher body armor and goes on an epic rampage using a variety of different guns. But long story short, he gets captured so Agent Orange can finally finish him off. But turns out Micro faked his death and Frank let himself get captured. Yeah, now they're gonna get it all on tape. So once he tricks him into confessing, Frank breaks free and kills Agent Orange. Billy Russo like, okay, no hard feelings, Frank. I'm just gonna get out of here. But Frank's never gonna let him go because it was his best friend, Billy Russo, who killed his family. Betrayal! It comes down to the final fight on the merry-go-round where Frank doesn't kill Billy, but he smashes his face into the mirror, getting it all cut up. And the new head of the CIA is like, hey, Frank, sorry one of our rogue agents killed your family. Um, we're gonna cover this all up. You go live your life. Next up, it's Jessica Jones, season two. So life goes on for Jessica Jones. Her neighbor Malcolm is now her PI assistant, and her best friend Trish Walker is using her celebrity powers to investigate how Jessica got her powers. Turns out after the car crash, she was experimented on by a company called IGH. But now this other guy who got speedster powers from IGH is murdered. Someone's trying to cover it all up. Jessica tracks down the superpowered enforcer, but turns out it's a middle-aged woman who's, whoa, stronger than Jessica. They track down the nurse who leads them to the janitor, who leads them to Dr. Carl, who's now dating the superpowered woman. But at Dr. Carl's house, Jessica finds a picture of herself as a kid. Yes, this woman is Jessica's mom. She was horribly burned in the car crash. They had to reconstruct her face from scratch. That's why Jessica didn't recognize her. Long story short, the experiment saved her life and gave her super strength, but she was never let out into the real world again because she has uncontrollable fits of rage. Now she's excited to reconnect with her daughter, Jessica, and this is complicated for Jess, but eventually she does the right thing and turns her into the cops. Jess gets lawyer, Jerry Hogarth, to help out, but Hogarth has her own problems. Turns out she's dying of ALS, and long story short, she gets conned by these people that say they have healing powers. They just steal everything. Meanwhile, Trish got a taste of superpowers last season with Simpsons pills. He comes back briefly. He traded his pills for a super inhaler and turns out, whoa, that inhaler is good stuff. She runs around thinking she's a superhero, but really she's just a crazy person beating people up on the bus. And as you might imagine, this inhaler is pretty addictive and she has a history of drug abuse from when she was a pop star. So it sends her spiraling out of control and it gets even worse when she finally runs out. She kidnaps Dr. Carl, wants him to give her superpowers, but his technique is not FDA approved. It goes wrong. Jess has to bust in there and stop it. And Dr. Carl realizes he's done more harm than good for the world. So he blows himself and his research up. This sends Jess's mom into a rage. She goes out of control, kills more cops. But at times her mom's a real good person and Jessica doesn't want to lose her. She finally agrees to turn herself back in, but just then, oh, she's shot by Trish. Yes, Trish is like, sorry, Jess, but your mom's a monster. Someone had to put her down. So the day is kind of saved, except it's horribly traumatic for Jess and these two are no longer friends. Next up, it's Luke Cage, season two. Life is good for Luke Cage, the hero of Harlem. Things are going great with the nurse Claire, but one day beating up bad guys, he almost kills this guy. Claire's like, yo, we should talk about your anger issues and to prove he doesn't have any anger issues, he punches a hole in the wall. So it's like, yeah, we're breaking up. So Luke focuses on work, shutting down crime, but crime is never shut down for long. Mariah Dillard has fully taken up her cousin's mantle as crime boss of Harlem with her partner Shades. And these two are dating, by the way, so good for them. But there's a new player in town, a Jamaican who goes by Bushmaster. He is an epic breakdance fighter, and more than that, he's bulletproof too. His power comes from the Jamaican herb Nightshade, and with it, even Luke Cage can't stop him. But Bushmaster has some sort of personal beef with Mariah Stokes. Yes, Dillard was her married name from her dead doctor husband. She was born Mariah Stokes, granddaughter of Mama Mabel. Their families used to be partners, but their Stokes betrayed the Bushmasters, killed his whole family, so now he's here for revenge. He leaves Mariah to burn and claims Harlem as his birthright. Luke has to save Mariah from him so she can go to jail, but Luke just can't beat this guy and he's got the pocket sand. Oh, I'm paralyzed. Oh, kicked in the river. Luke may be bulletproof. He can definitely drown, but luckily it wears off before he does. So Luke gets help from Detective Misty Knight, who had her arm cut off with a katana in the Defenders, but billionaire Danny Rand hooked her up with a sweet robot arm and now she kicks more ass than ever. Speaking of Danny Rand, he comes in for one team up episode and it is legitimately sweet. These two need a heroes for hire spinoff show. But back to Mariah, she's done messing around and burns up Bushmaster's whole civilian friends. This is too much even for Shades. She broke 
broke the rules of the streets, she's gotta go down. Also, Mariah has an estranged daughter who's coincidentally the herbalist that's been supplying Bushmaster with Nightshade. And when she sees what her mother did, she's like, yo, Bushmaster, I'm fully on your side now. Here's a super Nightshade shot. So he busts in there to kill Mariah. And once again, Luke's gotta stop him to save Mariah to get her to jail. This time, boom, he finally lands a big hit, knocks Bushmaster all the way back to Jamaica. And now with the smoking gun, Mariah Dillard Stokes is going to jail. Except she's still super rich and powerful, will probably get off. So her daughter goes for the kiss on the lips, which you only do if you're wearing poison Game of Thrones lipstick and Mariah dies. But this leaves a power vacuum in Harlem. Luke Cage can't be everywhere at once. So he makes a deal with neighboring crime bosses. Look, consider Harlem my territory. Don't be coming in doing any crime there. In fact, Mariah left Harlem's paradise to Luke Cage in her will, hoping that like being the king would corrupt him. But he doesn't see himself as the king. He sees himself as more of a sheriff. Misty Knight though, like, yo Luke, um, are you a crime boss now? But he's like, no, no, it's more like I'm the boss of crime. And the last scene is an homage to the Godfather as the doors closed on her while Luke does business. And we're left to wonder, will Luke lose himself going down this dark path? Next up is Iron Fist season two. Denny Rand continues to defend Chinatown with his magic glowy fist. He's still dating Colleen Wing. You know what they say, the couple that fights triads together stays together. But this season, his friend Davos is the villain. He's mad at Denny for abandoning Kunlun, which yeah, was totally his bad. But more than that, he's jealous because he wants the Iron Fist for himself. At the big ritual fight they did to see who would get it, Danny only won because he walked him into the sun. Cheap move, bro. By the way, Joy Meacham is working with Davos as a villain this season for reasons I don't know. So one day, Danny meets a nice new girl in town, Mary Walker, but there's something about Mary. She leaves herself notes and when there's running water, she freaks out. Yeah, she's got a split personality. Her alter ego goes by her last name Walker and is a badass bounty hunter. She's a top tier fighter, knocks Danny out, delivers him to Davos, who takes some of his blood to do a tattoo ritual that comes with, oh, a red iron fist. He believes the iron fist was meant to be used to root out evil and kill anyone who's even remotely bad. When he took the fist away, he broke Danny's leg, leaving Danny out of commission, but his girlfriend Colleen's like, yo, you rest boo, I got this. She teams up with her new best friend, Detective Misty Knight, and for a while, these two carry the show, making the case for their own Daughters of the Dragon spinoff. Eventually, Danny's leg is mostly healed, but he talks to Colleen like, hey, you've done a great job carrying the show. When we get the Iron Fist back, you should take it. In fact, she was researching her ancestry this season. Turns out her great-great-grandmother was a pirate queen who was also maybe the original Iron Fist? Yes, the back of her family crest is the Kunlun dragon. How'd I never turn that over before? So eventually, they capture Davos, do the tattoo ceremony, Colleen opts for a tasteful sleeve instead of a full back, and now she has the White Iron Fist. The ceremony wasn't complete, though. Davos still has his, so it's a big Iron Fist fight. Now, Joy Meacham eventually realized even she doesn't know why she's working for Davos. She tried to stay undercover with him, but when he found out, well, pushed her off the balcony. And even though she was super mean to her brother Ward all season, he started to rescue her. They hired Mary to now kill Davos. It's like, oh good, Mary, so we're on the same side now. Yeah, I guess, but for some reason, she and Danny have a katana fight. He's gotta slash the pipe to make the water spray out, turns it back into Mary. But outside, Colleen defeats Davos, finishes the ritual. She is now the true Iron Fist. Danny's like, yo girl, I gotta go out on an adventure to find out who I am without the Iron Fist. He goes to see Ward, like, yo man, you wanna go on a bro road trip of Asia with me? And it's like, yeah, sure, I guess. And so Colleen's defending the streets with her white iron fist that lights up her whole katana. Okay, that's cool. And on what is apparently a bar crawl of Asia, Danny's now packing double pistols and they light up with iron fist power. Wow. So if this version of the character ever comes back, watch out for that. Now get ready for maybe the best of the whole bunch. It is Daredevil season three. At the end of the Defenders, it looked like Matt and Elektra died in each other's arms, but Matt survived. Did Elektra make it? She's never mentioned this season, so who knows? Anyway, this season we drop all the mystical ninja stuff and focus back on Wilson Fisk. He's now ready to make a deal with the FBI where he'll give up a bunch of other gangs. But of course we know in prison, snitches get stitches. Oh, he's shanked. So for his own protection, the FBI has to move him to house arrest, but he's still a prisoner. But eventually he's allowed certain creature comforts. Yeah, he's wearing his white suits again, but he's still a prisoner. Except in his closet, he has a secret man cave where he's doing crime boss stuff. Yes, he was playing the FBI this whole time. Matt knows Fisk is up to no good and goes to the prison to investigate. But there he gets a call from Fisk, who hates lawyer Matt Murdock for putting him away. But he didn't know that Matt Murdock was also his other arch nemesis, Daredevil, who really shines in epic one-take hallway fights. Yeah! So Matt teams up with now superstar reporter Karen Page to track down the guy that Fisk paid to shank him. But Fisk has taken special interest in one of the agents on his detail, Ben Poindexter. 
Turns out he has super throwing skills and is a bit of a psychopath. He has a stalker crush on this waitress, so Fisk sets it up that they meet and hit it off, but then kills her and dumps him over text. And this sends him off the deep end and right into Fisk's arms. So that night, someone attacks the bulletin. It's Dex in the Daredevil suit. Matt's there to fight him. He's the better boxer, but Dex's throwing skills, he can turn anything in this office into a deadly weapon. He beats Matt and kills the informant. Eventually, Agent Raina Deem realizes Fisk has been playing them and tries to tell his bosses. But it's like, yeah, bro, you're the last to know. Fisk controls all of us through bribes, blackmails, or threats. And congrats, now you work for Fisk too, or he'll kill your family. And so now with the full power of the federal government on his side, Wilson Fisk is the kingpin of New York. And now he's finally able to reunite with his love, Vanessa. But she doesn't like that he's hiding his business from her. It's like, yo, man, I mean, it's super obvious you're a crime boss. I'm down with it. In fact, it's her who gives the order to kill Agent Nadim. At some point, Karen Page goes to see Fisk and reveals her secret that it was her personally who killed his best friend Wesley in season one. This makes him real mad, so he sends his fake Daredevil assassin after her. So Matt shows up for Daredevil fight round two, this one in a church. But eventually, Matt finds out and tells Dex that Fisk killed the girl he was stalking. This sends Dex even more off the deep end, so he crashes Fisk's wedding to throw things at him. And it turns into an epic three-way brawl. In the end, Fisk grabs Dex, oh, breaks his back, he's out of the fight. And in the final showdown, Matt's beating Fisk, but he knows the only way to stop him for good is to kill him. But oh, the Catholic guilt, he just can't do it. He does though have evidence it was Vanessa who ordered the death of Nadim. And so they make a deal, as long as Fisk stays in prison, he won't reveal it, Vanessa will be free. And so Wilson Fisk once again going off to jail, Daredevil protecting the city. And that's how Daredevil season three comes to an end. Up next is The Punisher season two. Frank Castle's quest to avenge his family is finally all the way over. He can just relax. Except one night he sees this teenage girl chased by bad guys. He can't help himself. He steps in to protect her. She explains how she had a little gang of friends back in Chicago that were hired to get some blackmail on some politics. But apparently they blackmailed the wrong politician because all her friends turned up dead and now she's on the run. Yes, the politician's father is some big time CEO who has on his payroll John Proctor. Now a quiet religious man, but he used to be some hardcore gangster and he is really good at killing. So the Punisher has a new sidekick that teaches him you don't have to kill every person you meet. Sometimes you can leave them alive, just burn their house down. Soon they're picked up though by Agent Madani like, hey, let's get to the main plot because Billy Russo has just escaped from the hospital. Yes, after Frank cut up his face, he wears this crazy jigsaw mask and apparently he does have real amnesia. He doesn't remember like being a bad guy. His hot psychiatrist feels bad for him because he's got a wounded baby bird thing going on. And by the way, his facial scars really aren't that bad. He's still hot and these two get it on. So Billy befriends a bunch of disenfranchised vets and starts a cool Joker-style gang. But soon the Punisher is here to stop him and poor Billy's mind is blown. He doesn't know why his best friend Frank is trying to kill him. So he lashes out, tries to kill him too. In fact, Madani found out Billy's psychiatrist was hiding him and they have a fight where she pushes her out the window, which was randomly her one big fear. Then Billy comes home, they have a fight and oh, they kill each other. Except actually Madani survived, she's fine. And Billy survived too. He calls up his best friend Frank like, hey man, I'm so sorry, what happened between us? Did I betray you or something? But Frank has no mercy for amnesia and this time kills Billy for good. This whole time, meanwhile, John Proctor's been after Frank and the girl. They have a final fight in the junkyard, but turns out John Proctor's only working for the guy because he has his sons. So John Proctor steps down and lets Frank get in there. It's like, hey man, my new sidekicks told me I don't have to kill everyone. I'm gonna let you kill yourself. Yes, these two became best friends, Mando and Baby Yoda style, but now she takes a bus off to start a new life and the Punisher keeps doing what he does best, shooting up bad guys. And that brings us to the final season, Jessica Jones season three. Now, the sketchy experiment to give Trish superpowers seemed like a failure, but at the end of season two, she managed to catch her dropped phone with her foot, which is pretty super. Yes, the experiment worked. Trish got powers. Well, a little bit anyway. Basically, she's pretty good at parkour. But that's enough. She's now got what she always wanted. She's a superhero. Life goes on for Jess, meanwhile. At a bar one night, she meets a guy who promises to make her the best burger in New York. But there's a knock at the door, and when she answers, oh, she's stabbed, what? But turns out the stabber was after Burger Boy. See, he has a superpower too. He can sense the badness on people. It gives him a horrible headache. He uses it to blackmail them. He doesn't know what they did, but he says, I know what you did, and they normally pay. They figure the stabber is the most recent guy who didn't pay, and turns out he's a super genius named Gregory Salinger, and sure, 
it looks like he's a serial killer. He comes home right then, but when Jess goes to confront him, he pulls the soccer player fake injury. Ow, you're hurting me. Yeah, he's got the whole thing on camera. He calls 911 on Jess for breaking and entering and assaulting him. Jess and Trish never made up, by the way. Trish is being kind of a dick, but they team up now to take down Salinger. They trail him to the train car where, yeah, he stashed a bunch of bodies. Unfortunately, there's no physical evidence there linking him to it. It's just Jessica's word, and he's turning it around on her like, yo, this woman's harassing me. Defending him, naturally, is lawyer Jerry Hogarth. This season spends a lot of time on her subplot of trying to bang her college girlfriend who's a cellist. And as usual, it all ends up very poorly. Working for her is Malcolm, who's become a really good investigator with Jessica's training. Working for Hogarth pays great, but he's mostly helping terrible people escape justice, which he doesn't like. And now representing a literal serial killer, that's too much for him. He quits and goes back to freelancing for Jessica. Now, eventually, the girls go on a wild goose chase to save Salinger's next victim, but turns out his real next target was Jessica's adopted mother and Trish's real mom, Dorothy Walker. The girls had a bad relationship with her. She was an overbearing showbiz mom, but loved Trish in her own way. And now Trish finds out what it feels like to have someone kill your mom, even if they were kind of a bad person. So Trish goes to kill Salinger, claws his face, giving her the name Hellcat. Just gets there in time to stop her though, like, yo, killing's bad. Now Trish can't get at him while he's in police custody, but she wants to take down some bad guys. And Burger Boy's like, yo, I got a whole list for you. They find a killer cop gonna make him confess, but oh, Trish kicks him too hard. She accidentally kills him. But as he dies, Burger Boy's headache is lifted. Confirmation for Trish that she's made the world a better place. So when they go to the next bad guy, Trish doesn't hold back. She kills him on purpose this time. She's like, hey, your headache's gone, right? I made the world a better place. He's like, yeah, but now I'm getting a headache from you. In the end, Jess has to protect Salinger from Trish, ties her up so she can cool off. But while she's making a plan to catch Salinger, well, he poisoned her whiskey. Oh, now he's got Jessica Jones in his power. She gets under his skin. He starts confessing all the people he's killed. And it's like, hey, man, you fell for your own trick. You're on camera and I'm not really poisoned. So Gregory Salinger going away for good. The day is saved. But that's not enough for Trish. She busts in there, beats up these cops and murders him in police custody. Yes, Trish is too far gone now. She thinks she's doing the right thing and she goes to, oh, stab Jess, but blocked and Jess knocks her out for the count. And now Trish finally realizes maybe she went a bit too far. So Jessica's best friend Trish going off to super jail. Jess is going to leave town and run away from her problems. But the lights go purple. Oh, that's Kilgrave's voice taunting her. And she's like, nah, you don't control me anymore. I'm not going to run from my problems. I'm going to stay right here and face them. So that's where Jessica Jones season three and the whole Marvel Netflix Defenderverse comes to an end. If you like this recap, hit that subscribe button for more of the best recaps of TV and movies. And if you love this recap, check out the join button and support the channel as a member.